Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life Live. Today we are going to be looking at true Christianity. Yeah, that's right. My name is Curtis Chouts and I'll be your host and here's Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey Curtis. Thanks so much for coming on to chat today. So fun. And all of you, thank you so much for joining us. If you don't mind, just to kick it off, let's like and subscribe. And if you are subscribed, you got to click that bell or else you're never going to know when we put out a video. That's right. And you don't miss what we're about to say today. It's true Christianity, man. Before we get into something as, as significant and serious as that, the, you know, the, the sort of, not just a definition of a particular religious system, but really what Swedenborg saw as the future of human spirituality, let's, uh, let's warm up a little bit, right? Okay. And we'll Warming warm up, up alongside all of you in the section we call Icebreaker. This is where we're going to answer a question that is related to the topic. We don't know exactly how it is yet, but it'll get us in that state of mind. We get all of our bad answers out here. And we want you all to play along if you're in the chat. Write your answers to this question. And at the end of the show, we're going to compile them and read them mm. to get a sense of how does everybody wow. else think about in all this, this very kind show. Of stuff. Yeah, that's the, great. At the very end of this program, believe it or not. Don't skip there yet, though. So here's the question What is a truth? that you've managed, Dr. Jonathan Rose, to embody in your life? Well, I would like to say peace and love to all humankind. Um, but? But. Uh, <laughs> you should have seen him I, at rehearsal I today. fall so much short of that I'm sometimes. Yeah. But uh, what I feel like I have been able to embody is like just that idea that you work it, meaning that if the book says pray, I'll try prayer. I don't know yeah. if I'm doing it right, but I'll try it. And I'll try to read about what it is and yeah. try to do it that way. And if the book says repent, I'll try to do repentance. And yeah. I'll try to do the daily kind. And then once or twice a year, I'll try to do the deep dive kind of thing and, and, uh, and keep in there. And then in my daily march, just trying to bite my tongue or you know try to absorb, observe myself and see what's going on and, and prevent the worst of myself from yeah. <laughs> leaking out onto other people sort of thing. So appreciate uh, it. You know, uh, and I do feel like for myself, I don't know what it's like to be around me, but the, uh, you know, most people are just cringing and making faces <laughs> most of the time. But, the, uh, but inside myself, I think it does build a, a happiness and a peace over time, just gradually, right. you know, so. Well, I love it. And it's fascinating for us to hear me talking about embodying a truth. And there you're talking about mm. principles and living those. Isn't the truth just something you gotta know? Yes. And is that a little foreshadowing of what could be true Christianity? Okay, mm. I'll stop stalling. I don't feel like I've embodied any truths permanently. I have had <laughs> times when I was trying Flashes. hard at them and, yeah. and that I've tried consistently at over the years. And the one that I want to bring out for show and tell here is um, yes, yes, no, no. So it's when Jesus oh, says, nice. let your yes be yes and your mm. no, no, anything other than that. It's from the evil one or from evil. And Swedenborg gives this internal meaning to it where he talks about, you know, celestial angels, heavenly angels, not really arguing about what's true, but just I, we know what's, what's good and we're going to go by it. Well, how that applies in my little self is I used to be very vulnerable to getting caught up in the mental thicket. Like as ah, soon as some kind of right. 
concern or worry or complexity that would lead me to an upsetting picture of life came in there, I had to wrestle with it and grapple with it and think on it, and that just makes you just spiral all the way down. So I've gotten pretty good at when something is trying to draw me into a view of life that is opposite the view that I get out of Swedenborg's concepts. Um, I can say to it, uh, and really it's, it's usually framed in terms of, you know, concern about your own reputation, all these things that we're right. trying to get around, away from that, I can just say like, yes, yes, no, no. Like if I ever feel like my mind is trying to argue me into something, I'll say like, no, I like that's, no, I don't oh, do that. Oh, that's great. So everyone, the the yeah. mental picture that comes to mind from what you're saying is that biblical story where the, the sacrifice of Isaac, that doesn't happen, yeah. but they lift up their eyes and then they see this ram with its... Yeah. horns caught in a thicket, yeah. you know, that sort of picture of the mental, you know, yeah. that's what came to mind when you mentioned that. doesn't mean that I never allow for counter-arguments in my mind, but I feel like I've gotten decently good at sniffing out when, like, this is just a, a mental lawyer that, that's trying a, to get me to bite on something. Yeah, so, right. So that's, right. that's one of mine. What's one of yours? We'd love to hear your answers. We'll round them up at the end of the show. All right. You feel warm? Yeah. I feel warm. Good. Let's I get do, in there. I actually do. Good. Let's talk about uh, some true Christianity. We continue our circuit through the nature of everything here. We're getting close to ending it. Oh. But this I is an important yeah. stop on the train. So what we're doing is giving you a, a new way to think about just about everything in life which is what Swedenborg does, and we're giving it to you in the f way we found it. This is... Right, the, uh, in the box it came in. That's right. Yeah. So Swedenborg right. has all these concepts that we've built this YouTube channel around, and we're talking here about not only building a YouTube channel, but using these as mental tools yeah. as we right. go through our life. And he originally published all these in a set of books, and so we want to go through and show you, like, that some of the packaging teaches you about how to use the ideas in the first place. There's an instruction manual in the way things were delegated or dictated or whatever. So yeah. today, we are what what book are we talking about today, and what can we get out of it? So where we, what well, are we doing? I, if I had the memo right way up when I read that, I think we're talking about true Christianity tonight. True Christianity, which you'd have to say is kind of a bold title, oh, there, it's isn't it? Extremely combative, or or. On one hand, if you already have a fondness for Christianity, yeah. you'd say, what, what are you doing, true Christianity? Or if you have no fondness for Christianity, true Christianity. Here yeah, we go. So right. let's dig ourselves out of this hole. Right. And the long title is really a mouthful. But I think it's worth saying before I read the whole thing out to you, is that uh, back in the day, those titles would be used, they'd appear in journals as a little notice of a book. So the more stuff you got in your yeah. title, people would know what your book was about and stuff. So we're, and we're was, hedging for Swedenborg. And it was also used sometimes as posters. Yeah. So it, here, here it is, I mean, it's long, but true Christianity containing a comprehensive theology of the new church that was predicted by the Lord, meaning the new church that the Lord predicted, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, that's right, he has a biblical reference right on the title page, and Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. So you get an Old Testament reference, a New Testament reference about what this new church is. What's the biblical underpinning of the idea of that? Yeah. So it's kind of aimed at theologians, a little, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's got a theological That's, bent to that title. It's funny that it is, and it's the most theological sounding book he wrote. However, 
when you, I just have been in deep into this book lately, and there's so much spiritual food in there that I'm glad we're. Oh, it's but, great. But you may it's not always book. come across it with this That's short right. title. This is the same thing that you encounter called true Christian religion, mm -hmm. which is a more sort of letter for letter, word for word translation of the original title. Sure. Uh, the New Century Edition changed it to true, true Christianity because. Uh, the word religion has become more and more of a kind of academic word, uh -huh. and so it's kind of weird to say true religion. You know, well, and you, you wouldn't take a course in college in true religion or something. Well, right? you'd be going up against true religion, the clothing brand that makes ah, those fancy jeans that are faded. There and stuff you like go. That. You don't want See, none of that. As soon as somebody else corners it, <laughs> you, you got to let it go. All right, That's so right. so we got this book, we got the title, mm -hmm. we got the, 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 the jeans. What's the headline? What is this work about? This, if it's true Christianity, mm. what's the message here? Yeah, well, it's almost, um, I don't know how to put it in headline form, but it almost seems like a game of capture the flag to me. Okay. Like it's saying, uh, no, that thing that's kind of getting worn out that you think of as Christianity is yeah. not true Christianity. I'm going to plant the flag right over here. This is what true Christianity looks like. Okay. And another uh, headline might be that Christianity's best days are in the future, not the, not the past. Yeah. Like Christianity is going to get better and better. Uh, and a lot of people sort of feel like, ah, it's kind of winding down. It sort of had its run. Yeah. And it was pretty strong in the Middle Ages. And yeah. now it's going away. And something. But... Another headline... Now, you can do better than no, that. No, no, I, I could do much worse, and I will. Uh, one headline could be, here's a new way to define all the Christian terms you know. I'm going to take things like mm. uh, the Trinity, I'm going to take things like yeah. redemption and repentance and reformation, and give you these right. expanded meanings for them that, are, that uh, really weave this amazing tapestry together. Also, another headline could be, here's what they believe in heaven. Yeah, that's right. Because that's, that's kind of how, how yeah. he presents it. I mean, you're going to see that's it in right. a second here. So this, is, this is heavenly Christian, you know, just yeah. in case you're interested. I mean... This is the way they look at it in heaven. So this is what, if you cracked open the book, there's two volumes of this book. This mm. is the table, ta entire table of contents for the first volume. Oh, yeah, as we play our game, what's, what's in it? it? And what's in it is the table of contents. So... In earlier books, we could never fit the whole table of contents in we, a page. We, we had, yeah, we have to pick a tiny subset. I mean, Heaven and Hell has 63 chapters in yeah. it. And this book is longer. This is just volume one. Yeah. And we got the whole thing there. You look at the, just the first chapter is 97 pages. And look what he's got to cover. He talks about God the Creator. And we're going to give you everything about God, the oneness of God, wow. the underlying divine reality, infinity, essence. The three O's, the creation of the universe. Kind of started at the top there. Yeah, and then we move into some, we start to get more and more Christian sounding, the Lord, the Redeemer, and Redemption. We start to talk about the Holy Spirit, then the Trinity. And if you notice, that chapter one is like what people have called the Father. Chapter two is like the Son, and chapter three is like the Holy Spirit, which yeah. was shocking because he's had chapters, he's written a lot about the Lord before, but never broken it down that way into kind of a more traditional Christian layout, and yet what you find in there yeah. is about the unity, not the, not the separateness of three persons. And chapter 7 is telling because before this it was all kind of definitions, but you can see here that belonging alongside these is how to love people. Right. And that, that, that it, this is part of what he's trying to steer the whole thing into is 
How do you take all this uh, theological fluff and turn it into life gets better? It's kind of nice that you've got all that stuff, that early part up to chapter six is yeah. faith, and then you've got yeah. chapter six is a chapter on faith, yeah. and then it shifts over to goodwill, which is the practical loving others. Yeah, and this, this book may have had the most interesting backstory to why and when mm. he published it for, for two reasons. So uh, w why and when? Why and when? Well, the when was 1771, and if you know his dates, 1688 to 1772, this was only a year before he died. It was like yeah. nine months before he died. Last thing he published. This came out, the last work that he published. And, uh, and this was the only book that he produced when he was actually under a full-out assault. You know, the Gothenburg consistory in, in the uh, Swedish Lutheran Church, yeah. you know, was, was attacking followers of his, attacking his books, not him personally, yeah. but, the, the, but the teachings and, the, and some people who were early adopters. They were trying to were shut under it down. Attack. Yeah, this, this was a defense. This is a counter offense. That's right. On people Against who charges of heresy oh. and that kind of thing. And he's saying, hey, this is not heresy. What y'all say is heresy. Yeah. He wasn't backing down. He wasn't saying, Okay, well, yeah, this is actually a weird thing. I thought I'd be saying, you are all weird. This is how you actually need to live. The, <laughs> the, the structure you've set up to live your life by and build these churches around doesn't make sense and doesn't turn you into good people. Mm. This does, and this is what we'll have going forward. So, And so an innovation that he has in this, not, not a complete innovation, yeah. but it's pretty handy that in this book he actually tells you what the point of the book is, doesn't he? Oh, that's right. So here, it, it, you know, we've had our take on it, but this is what he said the main point of the book is. The main point of this book is that the divine trinity is united <laughs> in the Lord. And that's so nice when you, you know, sometimes you can be reading all these pages and scratching yeah. your head and stuff. It, it's really nice when he breaks it right down and says, hey, here's the point of this book, by the way. Which is different than what we've been saying. So he's wrong, but... What, what does he mean by that? Just yeah, very well, brief. Well, he didn't understand fully what he was doing. <laughs> they, no, they <laughs> uh, it's interesting that he focuses that particularly, and you notice those first three chapters yeah. were about Trinity and unity in God. Uh, his thesis is that, yes, there's a Father, and yes, there's a Son, and yes, there's a Holy Spirit, but there's all three aspects of the one God who was born in this world as Jesus yeah. Christ, and he had all those pieces in him. Father was like the soul, son yeah. was like his body, the Holy Spirit was like all those miracles and wonderful things that he did and said and yeah. so on. And so that's his, his main point. And so it's both a book of belief. What should we be believing? We should believe yeah. in the unity of God. And what should we be doing? We should be loving each other and stuff and being evil. Let's, let's take a look inside. Let's do our first and last. Okay. So how do you open a book let's like this if you're under attack and you're trying to set out the theology of the... What's he say? And then how do he close something Well, like you'd, that? you'd probably start with an apology, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you sort of say, <laughs> I didn't mean I'm to sorry for anyone. taking up you know, your time here. He starts with a heading that says, The Faith of the New Heaven and the New Church. Yeah. Not just the New Church, but the new heaven, he said, this is what they believe up there. So that, that's bold right there. And then he has a little sort of explanatory paragraph at the beginning. The faith of the new heaven and the new church is stated here in both universal and specific forms, which he has in this little opening section, to serve as the face of the work that follows, the doorway, here we are starting, that allows entry into the temple, and the summary that in one way or another contains all the details to follow, 
And then, in case anybody thought his heading was weird, he explains yeah. it. I say the faith of the new heaven and the new church because heaven where there are angels and the church in which there are people act together like the inner and the outer levels in a human being. We were talking a little bit about that last time, weren't yeah. we? Just how that works together. People in the church who love what is good because they believe what is true and who believe what is true because they love what is good are angels of heaven with regard to the inner levels of their minds. That's you. You can already be an angel. You already are an angel. Thank you for watching. After death, they come into heaven and enjoy happiness there according to the relationship between their love and their faith. Which is an interesting nuanced point there, the relationship between love and faith. Love and faith. Not just... Not just faith. And not just love. Not just love. Mm -hmm. Love and faith. The relationship between those two is what, what dials it in. And then he closes by saying, it's important to know that the new heaven that the Lord is establishing today, kind of an exciting thing for him to yeah. say there in 1770, 1771, has this faith as its face, doorway, and summary. And really, the core of the faith is what we just read from True Christianity 108 yeah. about the, the Trinity and the unity of God. He's saying not just, look, I'm going to lay out some stuff to reform Christian church. This is what they're doing in heaven, and God is making a new heaven. This is where he gets his boldest. Yeah, you know? and we should point out that this thing is in two volumes in the English. Yeah. So I got the paperback, deluxe paperback of volume one. Curtis has the... Uh, deluxe hardcover of volume two. Because I have means, you know. That's um, right. So this is how he ends it. He, there's, there's an index to memorable relations after there, which is a, the, all the stories he tells of his trips the into the spiritual has world. Some nice little codas at the end. But. but this is how he ends it. Okay. I foresee that many people who read the accounts of memorable occurrences that follow the chapters are going to believe that I've fabricated them out of my own imagination. Right? As I'm sure many people who have come across this online have thought the same thing. Yep. But I assert in truth that they were not made up. I truly saw and heard those things. And I did not hear or see them when my mind was in some sleepy state. I was in a state of full wakefulness. Mm. And why did this whole Swedenborg thing happen? Right? Right. Why do you have this scientist who goes off and this thing happens and he writes these books and it changes everything for his life? And he's been publishing this stuff for 22 years. And here he finally says, The Lord chose to manifest himself to me and assign me the task of presenting the teachings that will be part of his new church, which is meant by the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. For this purpose, he opened the inner levels of my mind or spirit, which allowed me to be in the spiritual world with angels and the same time in the physical world with people. So that's the purpose behind his spiritual experiences. He tells yeah. you, oh, well, there's even something more important than his spiritual experiences, which is yeah. why I'm having them, yeah. which is that, hey, we're creating a whole new thing here. This has gone on now for 27 years. Who in the Christian world would have known anything about heaven or hell if the Lord had not chosen to open the sight of someone's spirit and show and teach that mm. person about them? And what follows here is because you can't get around, if you're going to do any engagement with Swedenborg's material and all the cool insights and thoughts in there, there's the elephant in the room is that he's saying that he went to the, the heaven yeah. and the hell and traveled out of his body. Yeah. And especially, you know, we, we may not be shocked by those kinds of things these days, but back in the day and still now, that's pretty far out there, man. A lot of people, especially sort of the kind of, scientific or materialist people, yeah. philosophers and stuff, just like that didn't happen. I'm just that telling you it doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. And so 
what he's trying to say to his Christian audience, who is uh, faithfully attacking him right now, he, he, he goes on, I'm not going to read them all, but he says, look, it may sound weird that I have had these visions and things, but this happens all the time in the Bible. And he lists them all. He says that in the John in the book of Revelation sees all these things, the tabernacle, the ark, the altar in heaven. Peter and Acts had things, Paul and the prophets. Ezekiel saw those four creatures. Zechariah saw a man riding among the myrtle trees. Daniel, he lists all these things, you say, look, all this has happened, there's a precedent for this in Christianity. And yeah. then at the end he says, from these and many other passages in the Word, it is clear that things of this nature in the spiritual world have appeared to many people, both before and after the Lord's coming, meaning Jesus Christ. Why be surprised that this is also happening now when a new church is beginning, when the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven? Wow. So, that's, that's the mic drop and what, but mm -hmm. so you can talk a good game, but what's in it? What is he trying to give the human race? What ideas are in there? What value can they have? We're going to look at that next. So we begin our journey through the spiritual food. Because okay, so we're talking a lot about the covering and stuff, but what does this do to change the mind and heart? What is it, what, what medicine does it offer? Mm. This is, we're gonna talk for a little bit about the divine design. And this is from 49 in the first volume. We cannot comprehend God's omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. A pretty heady topic. Sure. Unless we know what the divine design is. Mm. And unless we learn that God is the divine design, and that he hmm. imposed that design on the universe as a whole and on everything in it as he created it. So we can't, the things that make God God, that God is really strong and really smart and everywhere, you can't get that unless you get this thing he's calling the divine design. Yes, right. And that, it, that somehow hmm. he, he took this design that he is and imprinted on everything, right? Everything. So everything. Everything. So, so what is everything? God is omniscient. <laughs> That is, he is aware of, sees, and knows everything down to the least detail that happens in keeping, in keeping with the divine design. And because he is that design, yes. it's like, uh, I don't know, this is sort of a creepy analogy, but a, but a spider in its web, it feels everything that's going on sure. in the web. Yeah. Because it spun that web and it's sitting right there and it's touching yeah. it. So he's got this whole web that that's he's conscious yeah. of in the, the whole universe. The divine spider. I don't know if that's inside or outside the design to compare God to a spider. Yeah. Spiders are cool, they're good. Yeah, they're keep, keep the bug population down. And by contrast, is aware of, sees, and knows what goes against the divine design. Aha. Uh -huh. So he sees what's in the right relationship to God first, and then the sour notes, he hears those too, but yeah. they're secondary. Like if, you know, is that in or out of the divine design? God knows. I don't yeah. know. It's got to be one of those two. Yeah. And more specifically, though, he's looking at you and I and like what we're thinking and focusing on. And he knows like this That's is right. great. That's a keeper. This and Curtis, great. nope, he's got to get off of that. I'm going to ease it. him out of this. That's and so right. it is with everything. Mm. The more we follow the divine design in the way we live. And why would he care if we lived in the design? Because of this. The more we receive power against evil and falsity from God's omnipotence, receive wisdom about goodness and truth from God's omniscience, Huh. and are in God because of God's omnipresence, wow. God is trying to equip us with some stuff that's going to lift us out of all the pain and fear and misery of life. And the implication in there is that the more we live in the divine design, as yeah. if we have a choice, yeah. which I believe we do, of how much we buy in. 
we can just go crazy in the, you know, hell bent in the wrong direction or something. Uh, yes, we can. And we won't be as much in those things that it just listed there. Yeah. But we have an option to move in, in a better direction, and then we'll have more of those kind of divine qualities in a way that he's listing there. The more that we embody cool. those truths, if I could refer back to mm. the icebreaker. Okay, so w what's next? Okay, well, he makes some interesting points in the chapter about the Lord, the Redeemer. Here's True Christianity number 81. And he makes these in sort of a bullet point. He, he does love his bullet points. Oh, man. Number one. And this is just like a, a little primer on, on, you know, who God is or something. Yeah. Jehovah, the creator of the universe. That's what you see as the Lord in small caps okay. in some Bibles, right? Uh, or Yahweh, people say now. Jehovah, the creator of the universe, came down and took on a human manifestation in order to redeem people and save them. So that's saying Jesus is Jehovah. That's who came down into the world. Number two, he came down as the divine truth, which is the Word. It says in the beginning of John that, you know, the Word was with God and it, was, yeah. it became flesh and dwelt among us. But he did not separate the divine goodness from it. So it wasn't divine truth without the love in it. Sure. It, uh, it both, both were there. And three, in the process of taking on a human manifestation, he followed his own divine design. And I love that last point because, uh, you know, we may feel like, well, our bodies just develop the way they, they are through some random thing. And that's yeah. why we have to go through teething. And, and that's why we go through awkward phases like your 60s and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but uh, no, but there's a design to this whole thing about yeah. being a, a little infant and yeah. then a child and then growing up and everything, you know. And the Lord went through that. And that's the design. Uh, there's, a, there's an order to it. One of the flags that Swedenborg plants about the nature of God is that God does have um, structure. That God is not just an amorphous blob right. of power. That there is a design. Or some force like electricity or something. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't have any components or any, I don't want to say limitations, but something close to them. And that he's saying, God coming down to be Jesus, isn't it weird? Why, why didn't he just... Right. Why yeah. go through the same process? Manifest and be 80 feet tall and, yeah. Is it, wouldn't it be better just in general for people to just get boomed into existence? This, the thing that we all go through is the optimal way anything can pan out because yeah. this is the divine design. That's mm. crazy. Okay. Sweet. Let's just take a look at one more. What makes goodwill or love, you would call it, being good to other people, and faith, or believing the right things, your code of ethics, what makes those things real? So this is... What an interesting question. Yeah, this is... Because a lot of people sort of, well, I, I'm a person of faith, but yeah. are they, or really, you know, what makes it real? Goodwill and faith do nothing for us when they are attached to only one part of our body, meaning our head. <laughs> interesting. But are not anchored in actions. Huh. This is clear from a so thousand... So they're rattling around in your head, but you're yeah. not doing anything Or you maybe it. say, I believe in oh, being oh, a loving oh, oh. person, yes, right. but anybody who's had to hang out with you knows that's not true. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is clear from a thousand passages in the Word, of which I will cite only the following here. And we didn't oh, put these... Oh, and then what's that dot, dot, dot? Because this is all the passages oh, that wouldn't fit. Look, he's in Matthew, okay, Matthew 7, goes to Matthew Luke, and what's he... He's gotten Luke, what's there he's he in the doing Gospels, here? John... There's John. Oh, there's Romans and James, epistles. Yeah. Paul. Why, why is he listing so many? 
I think he's showing you that this is all over. Oh, look, he's gone into the Old Testament now. Yeah. He's showing you it's all through the Bible, and he's just cherry-picked those passages which make it so clear yeah. that your actions determine your outcome and your salvation and all that. And that was a big point of that was contested. You know, yeah. pe people were saying, "No, it, it's just your faith and your good. You're supposed to do good works, but they contribute nothing to your salvation." And he's saying, "Oh, come on, look, yeah. at, look at this." And the, it's supposed to be saying, "Look, I'm not some weird little offshoot. I'm not saying forget the Bible; it's outdated, and I'm going to come up with my new Swedenborg yeah. religion based on my spiritual experiences. I'm actually doing the thing in the text that your current." form of Lutheranism that's around me is not doing. Yes, and it's striking because in some places in his books, like in uh, Secrets of Heaven that we talked about a few yeah. episodes ago, he will say, well, Jacob means this and the well means that and yeah. this is what. But the, the, these passages he takes pretty literally, like yeah. the, your deeds, you know, right. it's based right. on your deeds. That That's how you... Right. Go to heaven or we, not. We better finish this quote because it's just hanging up there on the yeah, page. There are quote, thousands of other passages like these. I see. Okay. On this basis, one can clearly see that goodwill and faith are not goodwill and faith before they exist in actions. Ooh. If they exist only up in the sky or in the mind above actions, they are like images of a tabernacle or a church in the air that are just strange aerial phenomena that spontaneously disappear. So just images, just holograms. They are like paintings on paper. Here we go with some analogies that bookworms are chewing through. <laughs> They're like are living on a roof with no bed rather than in a house. Have you ever done that? That would be uncomfortable. James Taylor from you all gotta this. You've got to get the pillow on the right side or something. You, you can off. see that goodwill and faith are transient entities when they are merely mental. Unless when there's an opportunity for us to do them, they culminate in actions and become embodied in them. And this That's really brings bold. us back to the icebreaker because it's asking you and I and everyone yeah when have you actually done it there's a lot of talk about oh yeah we we love our neighbor we're all about love and fairness and justice but yet under the umbrella of all kinds of uh, you know Christian and other religious traditions you can do all kinds of mean and horrible things yeah. right yeah yeah that's right so how can it help why, and I want to say something about this book. Okay. This is the only one in the New Century Edition that actually says in it, translated, you know, you're the editor of this series, but translated by Dr. Jonathan Rose. Oh. So you had a major hand in getting this thing out mm, there. That's true. Why do that, man? Why spend your time doing that? What I can know. this book offer? It was the folly of youth. I think. No, the you know uh, it's Saturday night. You say I've uh, <laughs> had a few. I'll translate I'm something. Translate a few more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It, it was such an awesome thing to work on because it just blew my mind going through there line yeah. by line the way you have to, to translate it. And um, I think it's still like what it's talking about hasn't gone out of style yet, meaning that some of those ideas like vicarious atonement or the What's idea that, that you vicarious could... Atonement? Vicarious atonement would be the idea that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you don't have to change your life, right. he sort of took care, care of it. You and know, to he, appease a furious he, God. Yes, he did that for you, and God was mad, and now he's not so mad, yeah. and so you can get away with it. That's sort of still out there. And that's still out there. Um, the idea that uh, repentance can just be done by saying, I'm nothing but filth from head to toe, or something like sure. that, but not really looking at yourself yeah. and changing anything, yeah. you, you know, and, and things like that. A lot of what it talks about in there 
Uh, it's really a great summary. I mean, it's got these great chapters. The second volume has chapters on freedom and, and uh, yeah. you know, rituals and the coming new church. It ends with kind of a bang. Yeah. It's just a great book. Two things. I was recently found myself thumbing through volume two of this, and I pulled out, it's, it's not all theology kind of stuff. It's, it's very much spiritual tools. There's right. two, two things, right. I, this is a, for you guys, that I picked out of there. First was, the Lord is a love of usefulness. Wow. That's in there. And think about what that means. So Swedenborg has this assertion that we all are what we love, that each individual human mm. being loves a, is a particular love of a particular thing. That's wow. really what you are. It's not the shape of your body. So the Lord, what's, so I'm a love of something, you're a love of something. What's the Lord? The Lord is the love of doing something useful for someone. Wow. That's what God is. Mm. Not to say, that, that doesn't dehumanize God because every person is a love of something. Are you yeah. kidding me? Right. Then, another thing that was in there, let me make sure I can remember it. Oh, is the correct, the correct um, use of your, uh, your something, some kind of spiritual faculty is to be focusing, the correct use of your spiritual freedom is to be focusing on your state after death as you do things. Wow. And think of that as yeah. a mental tool. That it, well, as I'm right. sitting here and my car tire pressure light is indicating that my sensor is broken and I'll have to get it repaired soon, as I am receiving news that is, oh, this thing I tried didn't work, um, that, that what I'm focusing on is my state after death that is a tool that will it lift you out of some changes. things. Yeah, and that chapter on repentance in there is just the best to yeah. me. It's, it's the clearest uh, and very practical. It takes to, walks you right through what it is. It's an active process, and here's exactly how you do it. You pray, and you ask the Lord yeah. for strength, and you, you know, it, it's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, it has a lot of really practical, and it's really kind of a marriage, as, as some of those passages indicate, of faith. Here's what to believe, yeah. and here's what to do. You know, it's kind of got all of it in there. I don't think it, it is for Christians, but it's, it's also for humans. Like, I think you, yeah. could, you could pull... It's if, a great book for humans. If you had an aversion to everything Christian, you'd have a lot of stuff, you're but there's plenty in there that you could really take and use and do and so. And honestly, if you had an aversion to Christianity, you might hear him criticizing the same stuff you're averse to. It's true. You know what I mean? For like, sure. like he might be like, yeah, I hear you, I feel you. So, that's what we have to say about that. What do y'all think? Do you have any questions? Did that spur anything in you that made you wonder about something else or something more? Because now we're gonna do our live Q&A. Okay, what do you, what's on your mind? I mean, right now we're gonna do an actual thing where we're looking in the chat room for questions you're asking right now. We're gonna try our best to answer them. So let's see what people are thinking about. Here's the first one. Asher Raymond asks, why does it seem that it is so difficult for our loved ones and angels to communicate with us, <laughs> yet evil spirits can be so loud in our mind? And for anyone who's unfamiliar, Swedenborg says that everything mental is coming from either heaven or hell. Mm. That that's just what consciousness is, is this larger link up with, much like here you have a link up uh, with all kinds of media outlets and think tanks through what you see on social media and programming and what's on the radio. There he's saying spiritually that comes through heaven and hell are both effectively broadcasting in our minds. And if you ever had a mind, you may notice that the negative stuff, the worry, the fear, and all the impulses to harmful things, that stuff comes through loud and clear. It's very easy to worry about yeah. something. 
it can be difficult to get good feelings about things. So why is that? Why it seems that way is because it is that way. Um, Thank you. The <laughs> and I think I can do even better than that. No, the um, um, first of all, it strikes me that in that first element in the question, you're actually wanting to have some kind of contact, like there's an actual communication between your loved one and you, some mm -hmm. kind of exchange, however brief, to say, right. I'm feeling okay, and you know, sorry you're going through the grief, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the exchange might be. Uh, the Lord is pretty careful that most of the time, that second category is not actually the result of conscious contact. Like the evil spirits don't know, they may be loud as anything, and they are. Yeah. But they don't know they're with you. They're not. They're not doing it at you or to you. They don't know you're there because they've tried yeah. to destroy you. If if they were, right. they're they're just partying and having a good time. Yeah. They don't realize you're in the room, kind of thing. Right. And uh, so that's a, a a little bit of a difference that sort of uh, that allows you know for that for that loudness. Another one is about where our consciousness is. Obviously that that when our consciousness, a lot of the time, it's just with the kind of spiritual elevator that we have, uh, we're m more conscious lower down than we are higher up. So it's naturally quieter up in the heavenly level than it right. is down, down where the evil spirits are. And especially when that part of yourself is active, man, it is noisy. It it's definitely is. Swedenborg makes this fascinating assertion that hell has calls what he calls a back door into our physical senses. Yes. That somehow the, th the things that we, the picture, not just, oh, I see a chair, but the picture of life that we get from just observing how the outermost level of reality works, like the way the world is, and our reaction to it, particularly negative sort of ego-ish reaction to it, that that has a direct connection to hell. So it is very easy for, because we live in a state of mind that's very focused on what we perceive with the senses and we need to, to function in this world, hell can, that's especially vulnerable to hell. Why? I would say the divine design got corrupted if we're talking about this structure of things somehow through, you know, stuff we don't have to get into, but the, this sort of centuries of humans gravitating towards what was negative, the, the channels have been skewed. I mean, the, our we our antenna can barely pick up heaven's signal but right. yet hell it's very good at it's we're very close to the transistor there our distant ancestors a long time ago were much better at picking up heaven signals than, than we are generally these days. there's some people who who can who can pick it up but you used to default to heaven that's you wouldn't even right. have to try you have to try to go after hell that's what swedenborg says back back way in the day doesn't way specify that's right. how many thousand years ago or whatever it is that's but right. that's the condition we were in and and things have fallen out now so i also the other reason he gives is like inherited evil so you have which is kind of what right. we're already talking about but because you're born with these certain tendencies to evil that you need to overcome, and those just gravitate those false thoughts to them. So the whole struggle is to get out of those. And if what we're trying to do is, is make that journey while we're in the world, there is actually a use to having all the negative stuff so loud because it allows us to reject it and understand how to push it away. If it was all just good all the time, we wouldn't ever understand the need 
to eject this stuff and then we wouldn't progress and you wouldn't have this happy afterlife free of that stuff. Other people commented on how many evil spirits were around Swedenborg, like thousands of them. And yeah. uh, they said, how, what, what are you doing? You shouldn't be around those people. Yeah. And he kind of explained, they're, they're very, they're, you learn a lot from them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're useful. And I think we're allowed to be in that condition because we do learn the nature of our, our lower selves. It gives us some humility and, and all that. And under particular special circumstances, you can have that little moment of contact with a loved one or something, sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's very, it's, it's rare. But, it's, uh, but that's a very, that's a more special condition than just the kind of general noise of hell that's yeah. sort of rocking on every Saturday night kind of thing. Yeah, and th this, this is not how things should be. Right. Right now. This is not the ideal. This is, if when God looks at it, there's some in the divine design, but a lot of the situation is out of the yeah. divine design. Because it's not, this is obviously not an ideal. You might want to check out this book. It's obviously not an ideal, uh, I already said situation, ideal place mentally and emotionally to be. The life could be so much better than it is. And that's what the new heaven, the new church is all about. This is yeah. what we're describing in the book, trying that's to get right. us back into that happy state of heaven. Okay. Yeah, overcome that noisy situation. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the next one. Erica Lee asks, what does God think when he sees us sin? Does he think any less of us, especially when we keep backsliding on what we are supposed to be working on? Is God ever feeling like, oh, I've had it with this one. I've tried and you, listen, down the road, Susie, is really regenerating good. <laughs> you can't can't put two and two together. What's up? Yeah. How, how's God you feel can, about it? You can't us? get yeah. matching spiritual socks on. You know. Is there the, any? Yeah. Um, I tend to think that uh, the Lord has such a uh, overarching view. He sees the hell that's flowing up into us. A whole chain, actually, of yeah. evil spirits, from worse to not so bad. He sees the divine origin of the thought and how it went down, how it got twisted, what they did with it, how that feeds into this, what our hereditary evil is, what the spirits who are with us are, how that gets activated, how we mistakenly think it's our own, right. but it actually isn't, because Swedenborg sort of hammers this idea. But you could really see what was going on. You realize this is not you, yeah. you know. You're just a choice in, be in between there. Um, and uh, so I think he has such an incredibly merciful, forgiving view of what's going on. And Swedenborg talks about this, that the Lord forgives us everything all the time. Now, we still need to take certain actions to overcome stuff, but he's never sort of like, oh, okay, this is the 13th time. You know, yeah. he, he just doesn't get into that state. I think he really sees the whole thing, and he just loves us uh, with this incredible love yeah. far beyond what any parent loves in, in their ch child and and um so yeah i, I think he yeah of course kids fall down you know scrape their knee and stuff yeah. like that happens a couple of things that i think will be relevant to the question first of all true christianity 56 it's actually in the other volume god it's in god is incapable of looking at us with a frown so picture the facial expression you think god is making at you when he's exasperated if it's got any kind of frown in it, it's impossible, right? That God, is, God is love. Second, to piggyback on what you were saying, whenever you see, you learn about, so, there's some documentary about somebody who did bad things, 
and you're like, what a terrible person. But then you learn, oh, they were abused when they were a child. They had no stability. Immediately, you know, within reason, you start to f feel some sympathy. You know, okay, I could get how how they can right. get led into how, this. How you get there. <coughs> how much more so when God understands everything that's, that's pushed us in that direction. Um, yeah, the generations going back or what it like just sees a big yeah. picture. Yeah. And you might want to know that God absolutely loves everybody in hell. Yeah. We're researching a show right now that that doesn't matter how bad you've ever gotten, that God has nothing but love for you. So there's it's a, there's no way that just a little backsliding is going to be a Right. He's, a, a he's deal really he's he's uh, he's very peaceful about that whole situation. And I yeah, I feel like I, hell wants, loves to accuse of evil, right? So any thoughts and feelings you're getting about, oh, I'm backsliding, I'm so terrible, right? that's got to be hell pouring that stuff in. That's right, and they want you to think it's God. Because yeah. if you thought it was just evil spirits, you'd say, oh, you're just trashing me here. Yeah, and generally, as somebody once said, uh, evil people aren't worried that they're evil. You know, if you're <laughs> like, oh, I'm trying and fail, that, that's a good sign. Yeah, you know? Lord's really have to say, wow, hey, there's a... Yeah. You know, you, you see the people who backslide and don't, or, or love it, you yeah. know, love, love the backsliding. Yeah. It's really, no, it's not even, it's not not what you do, but it's what do you wish you were doing? Like, what do you want? Like, what do you intend? And what do you intend? All, all over the place, Swedenborg talks about, even we were just in the last episode about married love, and he says, oh, people sometimes mess up and do things that are outside the ideal. Yeah, But if right. they come to their senses and don't, and, and reject right. what they did, it's got to be that way with everything. It's, it's about your intent. It's what, what do you justify? And doesn't it feel different? Again, somebody did something terrible in the past, if they're in the courtroom and they just are smug and don't care, isn't that such a different thing than someone who's broken up and like, I was young, yeah. I didn't, I totally regret and don't like what I did. Yeah. Those are night and day, you know? Yeah, you that's right. So, that's, that's right. a great question. Let's, let's yeah. do one more, Good. but before we get to this one, elevator pitch is coming up next. Do you want to make us look stupid? Get your elevator pitch uh, ideas it's in there. Even better. What's, what's one Chance little unusual. topic uh, from Swedenborg? What's one concept, one little bit of it that you want us to try to explain without any preparation in a minute? <laughs> one minute's time. Get those in right now, and let, now let's take a look at our last question here. Janie Roberts, Janie Roberts asks, if you want to start reading Swedenborg, yes, go on. Should you just read them in the order that they were written? Is that the best way to study his works? This is, yes, this is why we're doing this series, too, because we, we want part of why we're going into all these books and stuff is we're trying to empower you. We've both gone in through reading these like archaic books and found stuff that is very valuable to us in life, that is, dare I say, a treasure. And we want to arm you to take that journey as much as you can in the hopes that it will be as valuable to you or you'll get some good out of it. So what do you do? Do you just you know, pick up the first work volume of Secrets of Heaven? and start reading his first book and start reading it? What do you do? That could be a, a challenge. Uh, some people do that and get a lot out of it, uh, but some people are sort of a little daunted by all the scriptural stuff in there or something. Uh, I tend to advise people to pick a topic of interest to you. So if you're interested in the afterlife, go for heaven and hell. Yeah. You know, if you want to know about creation and reality or something, try divine love and wisdom or something like that, yeah. you know. Uh, if you're interested in spiritual experiences, true Christianity is great. It's full of full of experiences. And if you're interested and, uh, in why do bad things happen to good people, read divine, divine providence. That's right. Really awesome. And 
Yeah, and so and we try. We have a video that we've done called "Who Was Swedenborg and What Should I Read," where we try to get you hooked up based on your interests with like five starting places. Yeah, that the, the different things light different people up. Yeah. and luckily there's a lot of kind of gates or ports of entry yeah. into this thing. And I would say check out this series that we're doing here because we've just gone through just, we'll have one more there after you go. this. We've gone through just about every major thing. We skipped some of the smaller ones that he's written. So I would say, you know. Yeah, if something appeals to you in there, yeah. Look at the titles, there. watch the little beginning, whatever starts to grab you and watch that episode. See if getting into that book seems like the right one. And I would say another thing, if you're going to start reading Swedenborg, be aware, it may not be that fun right away. Right. Because um, a couple of, because it's, it can be difficult and dense, but also I, I find that a lot of stuff is going to be strange and foreign. When if you just start reading Swedenborg, it'll seem like he's saying some things that bother you. The, I find for me, the more I get a comprehensive picture of what he's writing, the more it does make sense and seem to be uplifting rather than constricting. So ride loose when you start. You That's know, right. If something is perplexing or seems negative, say, okay, well, maybe that will resolve itself. I'm not saying you may read two books, three books, and then finally, like, all right, I don't like this anyway, and that's totally fine. But you may also find, like I did, that the more you understand the full picture, because there's tons of stuff that I, when I read it now, if I had no prior background in Swedenborg, I would be very perplexed by or offended yeah. by. But now I say, okay, I get what that means in the bigger context. I think that most people find Heaven and Hell the easiest yeah. point of entry. Heaven that, and Hell that's rocks. A, that's a, it, it's a really it great one. And if you're getting bogged down at the beginning of Heaven and Hell, skip a few chapters and read ahead. And, and yeah. I say that because uh, the way that Swedenborg cross-references his work, I really think he's expecting people just to dip in. Yeah. Because he'll point you elsewhere. If you're interested yeah. in this, here's a little line back there. That's right. He, he didn't think everybody would just start at the beginning and plow through sort of thing. Even in his very first book that he brought out, he had a, a little cheat sheet of, here, skip to the end of the yeah. chapter. I talk about this <laughs> yeah, know, right. kind of thing. So he, he, he wants you to just have some fun and find your way around it. And if you take that journey, if anybody out there does, let us know how it's going. Leave a comment on any of these videos. Get in touch with us via Facebook or email or Swedenborg.com. We'll help you out. We'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'd love to be your companions in that journey. Thanks, everybody, for the Q&A. Now we're on to elevator pitch. Hopefully, we've got a couple topics, and we'll see how good we really are at this whole thing. Okay, here we go. Okay, this is the segment where we try to imagine ourselves in a scenario in which we have to explain a Swedenborg thing to a regular person. <laughs> I've never done that. Under duress, under, the, under a time limit here. So what we're going to do is imagine we both stepped into an elevator and we have to explain some topic that you guys have picked out. Now, I have to, we would have to say not just what it is, but why it's important to this person. We get the span of one minute to do it. Oh, do you want to rock, paper, scissors for who goes first? Oh, okay. Sure. Rock, paper, scissors. No, let's do it. Rock, oh. paper, scissors, shoot. Okay. I don't know how to do okay. this. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You got it. I'll go first. Okay, you go first. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> now it's time for the elevator. Pitch. You can tell me how to play that game. And this is... This is, no, I, I think a lot of people do go on the third one, maybe I'm, you know, I have my Midwestern ways. Let, let's, okay. uh, let's see what my topic is. Affections. Affections. Ooh. Okay. Good one. I'm going to have to explain what affections are and why they matter. Do you ever think about who you are? What makes you who you are? Is it your mm. job? 
Is it your wardrobe? Mm. Is it your success? Is it your failure? No. I'm going to tell you that what makes you who you are is what you love. And what you love is not a simple thing, like uh, a feeling that has maybe one or two features. Mm. You are filled with this boundless number of affections, of little loves for particular things. And getting those sorted out and being able to identify which of those is positive and which is negative and which you want to fully invest in more and more often forms who you're going to be forever. This makes you who you are. And dare I say, when we get into the spiritual world, which by the way, you're going to get into after you die, this is going to be, your affections are visible in your face. Your affections are detectable through your aura a mile away. This is who you become. So pay attention to what you love. It's even more important than what you eat. Uh, is this your floor? <laughs> <laughs> really good. Yeah, it was very good. Thanks. I think, you know, <laughs> he uses the term affections in so many contexts, but that's certainly one of them. That's awesome. Really, really like it. Good. A picture that I used to get about affections was that, like, uh, a, a swimming pool, like, love would be the pool. Yeah. But affections would be, one day it's sort of choppy because it's windy. Yep. Or it's frozen over, or it's very tranquil and soft. Yeah. Or the different states, you, you know. Yep. The different, how it responds to different things in the environment somehow. And, and he would, like, you know. uh, probably say like a negative affection would be uh, craving or that's right yeah sort of sometimes has different words but he'll sometimes say affections for evil affections for good and sometimes it just comes down to moods and things like yeah. you, you know like yes. envy or feelings you know it's kind of a range of things but yes. I think of it as being how your love interacts with the environment kind of thing very that, good that was awesome okay was really cool thanks very much now let's see what do we have for Dr. Jonathan Rhodes mm. the language of math Now, I, okay. I would assume that this is language of math, like math, as some people call it, the universal language. So what about math, you know, within the context of the Swedenborgian world? Is that something we just jettison, you know, or is there All something? All right. Okay. okay. So we're on an elevator. I just got into the elevator. <clears throat> oh, hello. Uh, could you tell me a little bit from a Swedenborgian <laughs> perspective about the language right. of math? What is more universally hated by elementary school children <laughs> than math? They complain about, like, why do I have to do these sums? I'm never going to yeah. use this in my life. And yet Swedenborg, when he was younger, worked on something that he called the universal mathesis. He thought there might even be a way to kind of algebraically express your feelings. This feeling plus that thought equals. In other words, all things can be broken down into a kind of mathematical language. Math in the ancient uh, wisdom was seen as one of the fundamental things that describe the universe. And it is kind of interesting how useful mathematics has been. And so Swedenborg, in a way, in his spiritual works, was trying to find a math of feelings, of thoughts, of how you move forward. These universals, these principles that show you the mind of God, that design that we were just talking about. And math has something to do with that design. Hey, did you just make up that thing about the when he was a kid, the mathesis of no, some? I no. never knew that. No, that was very okay. apropos. Cool. Good. And I love it. I love it. He's trying to put <laughs> you're trying to put together the math of this the, if, if mathematics is truly the when you boil physics down, it's all mathematics. He's giving you the spiritual mm. mathematics. And so much so 
That was great. I really loved it. And yeah. it's so much so that um, angels, the highest angels, when they speak, it sometimes floats down as numbers. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of that, the, but it's true. The, the, the highest heaven, they'll express these amazing things in numbers that you can't say in any other way. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's that, was, hey, but I, that was a great job. Good. That was awesome. Good. All right. So now let's see. Thank you, everyone, for your, for your concepts and your time and effort. We want to you know, try to give it back a little bit by letting your voice be heard, which we'll do in our Ice Melter section now. Okay, if you remember back at the beginning, we had this question. What is a truth you've managed to embody in your life? If you're mm. watching after the fact, write yours in the comments. I mean, we'd love to hear this from everybody who comes across it because this embodying a truth in life, this is the machine working. This is the church, yeah. right? So yeah. this is what people had to say. Surrender. Oh boy. Good one. A truth I've lived is that I can't do anything on my own. I love that. Yeah. I have always tried to help someone, and I always try to find that someone that I should help. Yeah, right. Identify that person. Mm. The truth I come with is that the remnant left over from who we are is the most beautiful part of us. Nice. Moderation in all things. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Look at these. These are awesome. Allowing people to show me who they are. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. God can help anyone. I've learned from NDEs, the other side is about forgiveness and loving others. So I try a lot harder in this life. Okay, because you see really what it's like all about. That. Yeah. I'm third, the Lord is first, my family and friends are second. The categories these of love. Are, these are yeah. awesome, awesome uh, principles here. That we do go on in spirit, which has strengthened my faith in God and has given me a genuine inner peace. That the Lord is responsible for all the good and love everywhere, not me or anyone else. Mm. The truth I try to embody is that helping others with no thought of gain is the best way to lift the vibration of the planet. Nice. Open-mindedness. I can learn something from every situation. Mm. Uh, as, we, as we once heard in an interview on this channel, nobody knows everything about anything. Right. <laughs> the truth I've managed to embody in my life is that I don't have to live in mental turmoil. There is such peace that comes by surrender to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Nice. Learning to detach from negative thoughts that come up in my mind. Just saying, that's not me. And moving on instead of self-incrimination. Really good. Yeah. I'm here to serve. Be good to neighbors. So learn to see the shining part from people around me and treat them with sincere care and respect. Being empathetic. Look for the good. The truth that I've been able to internalize is the love of God for all people and his desire for all to experience the most peaceful existence possible. This is really moving. Yeah. The realization that honesty of my intent moves me in a positive and loving direction. Mm. Let's see, a spiritual gravity. Stop overthinking and stop trying to control every aspect of my life. I've been learning let it go and let it happen as on its own time. Mm. That all life comes from God and that we are nothing without him which can be surprisingly comforting to learn that you're nothing, as I've found it in my own life as well. I, I was very moved by that, those responses because I could glimpse what Swedenborg says about everybody is their own love and their own understanding. Yeah. It, you know, like you become the embodiment of that principle that you care about. Right. And, and it's very painful when you fail at that thing that you care about. You know what I mean? Like it can 
torment you sometimes if you feel like I really care about this and I let this person or this situation yeah. down. But yeah. that's still building you up to become an embodiment right. of that thing. We're both letting everyone down right now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's totally cool <laughs> to see the way that every individual person sees things from a perspective that I can't quite see it, but I can get it when you talk about it. Yeah, you know? as soon as you say it, it's like, yeah. oh, yes. So we so Love much that. appreciate you gems, all, all gems. hanging out, sharing your gems with us, and we just want to hang out with all of you as much as possibly possible. So we do a lot of programs. We have this one every Monday night. We also have News from Heaven on Thursdays and Saturdays. We'll break it. There was one uh, number in here about God's omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence that we had recently broken down in News from Heaven. If oh, you want nice. It was four steps to receiving power from God. Uh, really cool. That's where you take a deep dive in a yeah. passage of Swedenborg. It's like yeah. blowing just one of these quotes up and living yeah. in there for a while. And Curtis draws pictures and everything. It's yeah, good. which is worth the price of admission. Also, <laughs> like and subscribe. This is the fuel that lets YouTube know this thing is hot. We need to show more people this stuff. We'll get the ideas out there. And also, we're a nonprofit, so you may notice these videos are free. We let we give the books away, the e-copies for free. Um, if you want to make this possible, consider joining us on Patreon. We're a nonprofit, so if you sign up for Patreon, you can give a little bit every month, and that helps us do everything we need to do. That's right. It's a real blessing to us. Yeah, so we give you a little thank you in terms of some personal Q&A and then also some behind-the-scenes footage, just a little stuff to say thanks for making it happen. Thanks to all of you for being part of it. And we're going to wrap this series up, the tour of everything, next mm. Monday. Really? With a little work that is called Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences. Whoa. One of his longest and I would say most fascinating uh, he didn't publish it, although he pulled stuff out and published oh, it. It's and so this one is sort of running in the background behind all these other ones. It's kind of the underlying material from which everything springs. Very much worth turning in, so I trust. We'll, uh, we'll see you Monday night and everywhere in between. Hope you have a, a great week going out, taking this, taking truths, whatever moves you, embodying that stuff, and, and life gets That's better. That's right. Good going, everybody. See you. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>